This is our first Major League Hacking EU podcast. We're going to be talking a lot about HackCon, London, and the societies and the universities all around the country. So this is something that we've been planning for a while, and it's something that we're going to be spending a lot of time this season trying to work on. Major League Hacking launched in, the, in Europe last season, and before that it was in America. It was started by two folks in the Hackathon community back in 2012. They're on their third season in the US, I believe and we're on our second season in Europe. So we're going to be running this podcast every two weeks. It's very much a trial at this point, but we will see how it goes. So joining us today is Joe Nash, who is developer evangelist at Braintree. He's a founder of Hacksock Nottingham, and he also works at Major League Hacking EU with me. Hello, Joe. Hello. And then next we have Kurt Lee, who is social media for Major League Hacking. He's doing a PhD in computer science research, and he's a founder of Future Techies and Viomi. Hey, hey, Kurt. Hello. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Not too bad, thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, the last and final guest is Nicholas Begley, who's a co-founder of KCL Tech, a society at King's College London. He's the organizer of Hack London and Hack Kings. Uh, I guess Hack London is a succession to Hack Kings. He interned at Just Eat, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Still yeah. working there, actually, part-time now. Oh, nice. And uh, he's studying at King's College, College London. So the first thing I really wanted to talk about is we've officially kicked off the second season. For those of you who haven't heard of Major League Hacking, Major League Hacking is the official shoot hackathon league in numerous countries now, namely sort of United States, Canada, Mexico, and now Europe. So what we do is we help shoot hackathons around the country with all the resources they need to make the hackathons even more awesome. So for example, we will provide a hardware lab with many sort of items such as Oculus Rift, Leap Motions, and Tessels. And we do other things as well, such as helping them purchase swag, helping them budget and, and anything else that they might need. So, so yes, uh, this season we are launching into Europe and we have around 10 hackathons announced so far. And the hackathon that's just happened is IC Hack, which happened this past weekend at Imperial College London. And the next hackathon that we have is Keyboard Stacks Hacks in uh, St Andrews in Scotland. That's not this weekend, but the weekend after. And we have more hackathons to be announced in the season. And some, some examples of cities that we're going to be having in this uh, season are Barcelona, Leuven in uh, Belgium, and Eindhoven in the Netherlands. And if you want to find out more about the, the hackathons that are going on during the season, you can find that out at mlh.io forward slash EU. So the first thing I really want to talk about, which is kind of like one of the most exciting parts of the hackathon sort of community is, is HackCon. It, it happened just over a week ago and it happened in New York City. It's a second edition. And ha what HackCon is, if you don't know what it is, is a conference for student hackathon organizers discussing best practices and, and ultimately sort of rehearsing many different aspects of, of organizing a hackathon to make them all, you know, progress further quicker. So that was really, really awesome. It, it, it was actually live streamed as well. And it was held at Livestream's global headquarters in Brooklyn. And that was that was really it was, it was like an abandoned warehouse which had been uh, sort of renovated it was really really awesome and it had plenty of sponsors mostly vc firms some examples were uh, teal capital which is responsible for teal fellowship and uh, many other things under that umbrella uh, a16z which is andreessen horowitz that vc firm that's very popular challenge post livestream twilio brand makers who is the official swag partner of major league hacking globally and GitHub as well. Major League Hacking has partnered with GitHub to launch the Student Education Pack, which is a whole bunch of different tools and services that you can receive for free or a, a, a huge discount just because you're a student. And you can find that out at education.github.com 
forward slash pack or you can just search your education pack it's the first result on google so that's pretty awesome another thing as well is major league hacking released a hackathon guide which is really interesting because there's a lot of people who couldn't attend hackcon because it's it's pretty far out uh, for people outside uh, north america and there's a lot of hackathon organizers all around the world and and the whole point behind this was really to have all these details such as you know how do you cover food and and how do you attract sponsors and participants into this one sort of open sourced guide and that can be found at guide.moh.io that was announced at hackcon and it's progressing all the time majorly hacking they haven't revealed too much about this but they're planning to announce another first party event and so that's something interesting we have no idea what that will be but hopefully majorly hacking will reveal more as the year goes by if you want to watch the videos that happened from hackcon you can watch them all through live stream the website is uh, bit.ly slash hackcon or you can just go to hackcon.io and the videos should be there now i believe so our very own joe nash who's also on this podcast uh, talked about battle hack because he's also he's part-time major league hacking and uh, he's part-time braintree evangelist so uh, one thing that braintree does is they organize uh, a hackathon called battle hack all around the all around the world and i'll let joe talk more about that in a minute and another thing as well is his his presentation involved talking about what battle hack does that student hackathons can implement uh, because battle hack has uh, a lot more money than what most uh, hackathons would have so yeah, Joe, do you want to just summarize what kind of lessons that you uh, you provided from Battlehack at HackCon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of the main point of my talk is that corporate hackathons have a couple of edges on student hackathons. And as Bill mentioned, one of them is money. Uh, obviously, PayPal are often a company that you go to for budget. So if they're throwing their own hack, they just naturally have access to that. Another thing is full-time paid staff. Uh, student hackathons are obviously run by students who have various other responsibilities, uh, the degrees included. But despite these advantages, uh, there's a couple of things that corporate hackathons are currently doing that are very, really easily implementable by students. So examples of some of these that we covered were small details. So a lot of hackathons do really well on branding and swag, but we miss out the small details that professional staff sometimes pick up on. For example, little things like table signs and uh, proper cutlery instead of paper ones. Uh, there's a variety of things that are low cost, but really improve the feel of the event. And we also covered things like um, being competitive, how to set the right attitude with your hack. And yeah, I think that was, that was most of the main points. And, and how did you end up joining Braintree, just in a, in a nutshell? So I originally competed in the first year of Battlehack in 2013. Uh, I was part of Team London and won in London and went to the finals where I lost horribly. Uh, and then <laughs> at the finals, my team were one of the only student teams there. So we pestered them relentlessly, insisting that they give us internships. And after that internship they were silly enough to keep me on. How much of the sort of uh, student hackathon community attends Battle Hack? So it depends. Some of the cities it's uh, very high, some of them it's very low. So London, I mean, the best way to look at London is if you go and look at the uh, YouTube videos of Battle Hack London, it's basically an advert for Hacksock Nottingham. Every person <laughs> interviewed in the video is a Nottingham student. Their students popping up everywhere. And uh, it was very similar for Chicago in 2014. We had a lot of students in Chicago as well. So certain cities out of the 14 we currently do are very student heavy, some aren't at all. So like for students who only attend student hackathons, is Battle Hack a, a good opportunity for them to sort of like branch out of student hackathons into sort of like more, uh, I guess, open hackathons, you could say? Absolutely. So this is something which the UK has a slight edge on over the uh, over other hackathon series. Where we didn't have a student hackathon season until recently, students here went to a lot more uh, just generally open hackathons and they have a lot of advantages for students. I mean, A, 
you get to meet professional developers. B, you get like really special treatment for some reason. All these people love it when students come. Uh, and C, we just seem to naturally win. I don't know whether it's pity winnings or we're just generally like it might be like because we're newer and we have more outside of the box thinking. Uh, but students who go to professional hackathons tend to win quite a lot. So there's a lot of advantages. And obviously for the community who are likely to listen to this podcast, Going to Battle Hack is a great thing to do if you just want to see how a like how a professional body organises a hackathon and get some great tips on how to change yours, especially if you're doing anything that involves scaling to uh, different communities or cultures or even size, or if you're changing if you're changing committee. Okay, that's cool. I mean, the hackathon community in the US first, or at least North America versus Europe is is the growth is quite somewhat similar. You know, uh, and it was pretty interesting to see how HackCon in capacity was bigger than any single one hackathon in the UK. So obviously, when when a product like that, the UK, the European scene isn't growing as fast, but it's still growing relatively quickly. So what do you what do you feel like the opportunity lies for launching HackCon in Europe? This is definitely something we're looking to do. So I think I think you're right. The growth rates are very similar. The difference in Europe is that we started with a smaller base. So in the US they've scaled up to many more hackathons quicker but they started off with a lot more and i think it is feasible to throw a hackathon in europe and it's something we're definitely looking into doing the main challenge in europe is drawing in enough organizers and ways we're looking to do this is to include some voices which weren't present at hackathon us for example trying to pull in some more community organizers and organizers from groups such as young rewired state who are doing student hackathons but as a professional body and these sort of things. So we'll be looking at ways to expand the audience out, but still keep it student focused and still keep the message on key, but still make sure that it's an effective conference and there are enough people there to keep the dialogue going. Okay, uh, Kurt and Nick, what do you think about having a HackCon in Europe? I guess like things is getting like everybody together. I mean, we when we started uh, Hack Kings the first year, we were absolutely lost about what to do. Uh, like we had absolutely no idea what we're doing. So kind of developing that community where people can actually learn from each other and figure out these best practices i mean yeah definitely we should be doing this personally we haven't had that much contact with like outside the uk but i think in the uk we do have like a very good very good community already but i mean we should grow that outside outside the uk as well i think one thing that's different between sort of north america and europe is like in geographical size they're about the same but the amount of cultural differences like is, is is a lot more bigger in europe so that could lead to more challenges, which is which is pretty interesting, actually. So yeah, like when would you think is the best time to organize it? Like uh, this is pretty much for everyone. Like when when do you feel like Hatcom would work best in Europe? I hope everyone says August fifteenth and sixteenth because that's when I've requested the venue for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I mean, cool. I mean, I'm I'm assuming term time. So what's that? But like between September and like uh, April. I think you mean August fifteenth and sixteenth. We're currently aiming for summer with, at the moment, uh, with Hackcon EU, mainly because because we're targeting every organiser. Term time's not overly useful because, for example, if you throw a hackathon in your university, you want it to be in term time, you want the students to be there. But we're not targeting large groups of students from each uni. We're targeting, like, a group of five students from almost every active hackathon uni. So it basically doesn't matter when or where we host it because there's still going to be the same amount of travel required. So it'd be much more convenient for all the organisers is the thinking if we do it in the off season uh, when A, they're not organising hackathons and B, then they don't have exams or any of this sort of thing. The other thing behind doing it in August is that it it's early enough for the lessons learned from HackCon to be implemented in the fall season. So they can come to HackCon, 
speak and share knowledge and experience and then immediately go and apply it to the full season before it's too late to take away those lessons. A thing to note as well is HatCon originally started on a winter schedule, which again had this problem of, of conflicting with shoot hackathons. And the one that just ran just, uh, just over a week ago, that conflicted with five hackathons. Uh, so those organizers from five hackathons couldn't make it. And so now uh, HatCon have announced uh, the next edition of the conference in GitHub, at GitHub's headquarters in San Francisco in July. There isn't a specific date as of yet, but uh, they're moving to a summer schedule specifically to avoid this problem. And if there's anything we could learn is to not start on a winter schedule. So that's yeah. that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what kind of things do you wish you learned? Like, let's say two things. What two things you wish you learned before throwing your very first hackathon? Joe, what, do you want to start? Not to drink all of the coffee that goes cold. It's the first one. We had a at the first hackathon. At the first hackathon we threw in Nottingham, we had a group of uh, masters media students who were recording a documentary for their final product uh, project. And there's like shots of Tim, the UK commissioner, uh, talking about the hackathon. There's shots of the rest of the committee who ran the hackathon talking about it. And then they're all like very calm and very comprehensible and lucid. Then it goes to a shot of me. And I already speak quite fast and I can't understand a word I'm saying in it. I don't know why they include in documentary. Um, so, yeah, not doing that is a good idea. And then I guess the other thing um, would primarily be about workload allocation. So first couple of hackathons I was involved with, and this is something the UK does a lot of if you look at the size of the teams versus the US teams. So for a US team, for a hack of like 400 people, they have like teams of up to like 30 people. Whereas our biggest hacks here, 200 odd, are still mainly being organised by two people. On the day they get more volunteers, yes, but in the run-up, it's very much being organised by a small group. Um, I think it would be a lot less stressful for the students and would scale a lot better if, as a community, we learned to share workload. Yeah, I, I can attest that. that. I can second <laughs> that as well. Yeah, third that, if not even. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, yeah, if you want to watch all the HackCon videos, we, we need to move on onto a different section. But if you want to watch the videos, you can watch them at bit.ly slash HackConII. Okay, so next up, the first hackathon of the Major League Hacking Spring, se spring Season is uh, IC Hack at Imperial College London. It ran on the 7th and 8th of February 2015. The main organiser, one of the main organisers is Ben Chin, who was supposed to be on this podcast but couldn't make it. It was hosted at Go Cardless headquarters in London. And how many people were at the event, Joe? Do you know? So they aimed for, I think they were aiming for about 150 and they pretty much hit that target. It was very, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was very well attended. The room looked busy, but wasn't too cramped. Um, and even overnight, there was still a lot of people there. And on the, during the presentations, I think there were between 20 and 30 hacks submitted. So it was a, it was a very good, very well attended hack. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and some of the sponsors that they had as well was uh, Gold Cardless, as you expected, uh, Netcraft, Microsoft, and Esri, and and I believe Imperial College of Computing. And Braintree. And Braintree, <laughs> yes. Okay, awesome. Uh, okay, so one of the main things that I heard about IC Hack was cotton candy and popcorn. Do you want to tell me more about that, Joe? So this is Tim's fault entirely. So one of the things MLH does for our events is we provide a mini event. This is part of our sponsorship with Bloomberg. Basically, Bloomberg wanted to provide mini events to every hackathon. And this means that the MLH staff turn up with Bloomberg 
uh, we have some silly prizes and we do something cool. We do like technical challenges such as code in the dark or code golf, or we do things just for sheer fun such as cup stacking and slide share karaoke. But we had a big document full of various brainstormed ideas, not all of them entirely practical. And one of these ideas that had somehow made it onto the sheet was popcorn and cotton candy. The Imperial guys saw this, got very excited, and <laughs> Tim felt too bad to tell them that we probably couldn't feasibly do that, and he made it happen, which was pretty cool. So we had uh, a proper carnival-style cotton candy and popcorn machine turn up with the people who knew how to run them in very sharp-looking bow ties. Um, or was it normal ties? One was if it might be the mix. And everyone got popcorn and cotton candy and it was amazing and magical it was really funny seeing a popcorn and cotton candy machine come up in a office elevator as well <laughs> <laughs> and it's the first time that they run it at go cardless's headquarters right and how was it go cards go cards are really nice headquarters so it's an open plan office but it's got some nice features like they have a grandstand in the middle of the office like tiered seating which is nice. really cool they've done a lot of events like this in there previously so they held uh, the Node.js school, for example. So they're very open to hosting to community events and they're a very giving organization. And what was quite interesting was that they had eight of their developers there and they weren't pushing their API, they were actually just hacking. And they just decided to hack on some open source projects, um, some relating to their stack, some not. And you were just welcome to go over and join in and they'd add you to the GitHub and you could make a contribution. And it was very cool. It was, they, were really, they were a really cool crowd. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so one thing I really wanted to cover as well is hosting a hackathon in London is somewhat difficult. Uh, obviously, we were involved with Major League Hacking uh, Launch Hack back in October. And yeah, there's a lot of hackathons or a lot of universities in London that are interested in throwing a hackathon. And one of them is Queen Mary's and another one I can't so remember. So we actually have six. Uh, <laughs> we have sorry? six. Okay, six, yes. So Including Nick. So many universities in London, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, like, one thing I wanted to discuss is, like, what are the problems with hosting a hackathon in London? I guess with with universities, venues isn't really a big deal, but, you know, some some uh, universities are willing to go to offices such as IC Hack, going to Go Cardless. So, do you want to start one, Nick? What's the current yeah, problems it, that you have? Yeah, sure. Oh, actually, it was interesting that you said that, like, um, that venues, like, uh, should is, is the problem. Like, because we've definitely noticed that we had to really kind of... Um, pull some strings in order to actually get um, Hack London, which is this year, to be hosted in uh, King's College. In, uh, last year, Hack King's, we couldn't get uh, our university to actually agree to, uh, to host it. And then the problem was, well, well actually, because we, we only had, a, we were targeting 100 uh, students or 100 attendees. Getting a venue for about 100 people in London, you know, that's manageable. And you can actually get it for very cheap or even free in some cases if you find the right, uh, the right people to work with. But actually scaling beyond 100, 150 people, that actually becomes like really difficult suddenly because it's hard to find a big enough venue which which is still like you know within your budget range in London. That's a, that, that's probably the biggest problem that we actually had. So this year this year we were very happy to actually be able to run it in Kings. So we've got plenty of room this time. That's really awesome. What about other what about other things like food and uh, other other snacks and stuff? Are they more expensive to order from London or do you drive outside and buy them and bring them in or? So yeah, we've, we've always stayed within London to when buying all this stuff, but also we've been very fortunate having uh, Just Eat kind of back us in, uh, like oh, last yeah. year and also this year. Turns out they can bring us a lot of food, so <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which has been awesome and, and you know, they've, they've been fast and fantastic to work with. But so I mean, but the whole thing is basically like we've always just tried to bootstrap, you know, as well as, well as we can, like kind of clo closer to the event. But yeah, yeah. 
For those who don't know, Just Eat is, is an online delivery service. You can order like pizza, uh, Indian food, etc. For those who are listening in America, it's equivalent of Seamless. So, so yeah, that's really For Just Eat, if you're listening, um, that was a paid advert, you owe us money. <laughs> I, 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 I should actually note that if you uh, if you are ordering food uh, on like for the day of, uh, make sure that you don't order the food at rush hour, because they will get stuck stuck in traffic. That's actually happened. That's never happened to us for a hackathon, but for other events that we've been running, uh, so you know we've had to we once had to have our guests run a QA for an hour and fifteen minutes because the pizza just wouldn't arrive. Wow! So, <laughs> so that's another kind of point to keep in mind. So I guess I guess to summarize, like beyond a hundred people, you're gonna have it's gonna become mission impossible. <laughs> it gets hard. It gets hard. So you kind of have to either have just a lot of money that you're willing to put put in just for the venue, or you're gonna have to have like a very good partner to work with. But that's at least that's been our experience. How many people go to Battle Hacks London event? So all of the Battle Hacks are around two hundred people. In 2014, London was actually the biggest one. And yeah, no, we had the same problem. So finding a big venue, as Nicholas said, in London is really difficult. We've been very fortunate with some of the venues so far, but it's a, it's a different challenge for corporate hackathons. Um, student hackathons obviously don't have the budget or the ability to book big conference venues. And to be honest, doing so for a lot of hackathons, regardless of where they are, is very difficult. TechCrunch Disrupt this year was held in a, in the basement of Tobacco Docks, and as far, that venue is like crazy money. So it's just London is just very difficult for venues for any hackathon. We are very fortunate to have worked with Level 39 for the past two years. They're a co-working space for fintech startups at one kind of square. And they managed to fit our hackers in. But it's it's a difficult space, definitely. Okay, that's cool. Anyway, we have to, to move on. But the, the next hackathon that I want to talk about is uh, Stacks Hack, which is happening in St. Andrews. Just a, a few facts about it is it's being held at the Jack Cole building. Joel, you'll know that better than yeah. I will. Uh, it's running on the 21st to 22nd of February. I think all tickets have sold out now. Around 80 people are expected to be there. I believe Joe and Kurt uh, will be there from Major League Hacking. And Gregor. And Gregor, yes. So, Joe, do you want to just tell us quickly how how difficult it is to get there from from anywhere, really? From anywhere, really? <laughs> so, St. Andrews can only be described as being in the arse end of nowhere. Um, it's <laughs> on the coast, about an hour and a half to the northeast of Edinburgh. And there used to be a train station that goes straight into the town. And then in the 70s, some clever sod demolished it. So now you have to go from Edinburgh to a place called Lucas, which as far as I can tell, is a cornfield, and then you have to get a bus in. Alternatively, you can fly to Edinburgh or Dundee and get a bus in. But yeah, no, it's a fair while. If you're coming from London, it's like an eight-hour train. If you're driving, it's about ten hours, if you're lucky, with traffic and don't stop to wee. It's not an easy place to get to. But do you think it's worth the travel for those who have got a ticket? Absolutely. Um, and if you're if from Edinburgh or Glasgow, where the majority of our tickets are from, we will be running coaches. So delay booking those trains. Uh, the website, if you uh, want to learn more about uh, StaxHack, is StaxHack.uk. And, and another hackathon that's going on after StaxHack is Hack London, which obviously Nicholas is, is part of partly organising. So, so yeah, do you want to just tell us a bit more about Hack London? Yeah, so Hack London is kind of the successor of Hack Kings, which we ran last year. So Hack Kings was the KCL Tech Hackathon that we, that we ran. This year, we kind of wanted to scale it up a little bit because we had a, we had a lot of fun do, doing it last year with about 100 people. And we were talking with uh, some people, some guys from UCL. So there's uh, UCL Entrepreneurs and UCL Tech Sock. And we ended up partnering up with them to run Hack London. So yeah, it's going to be, for we're targeting about 
200 students. It's going to be hosted at KCL Strand Campus, which is, you know, it's right next to the Thames, you know, closest tube station to Temple. And yeah, so it's running on from the 28th to the 29th of February. How does it compare to the venue that you had at Hack Kings? Because I remember going to Hack Kings and it was at Innovation Warehouse, which was relatively tiny for the amount of people that you had there. How does this venue compare? Yeah, so I yeah, it, <laughs> Hack Kings was quite sweaty. Uh, that, that was, <laughs> um, so th so this time we've actually we've we've been able to secure like multiple rooms within Strand. So we have one of the biggest auditoriums in, in on the campus, you know, for, for uh, getting everybody together for you know the, for the opening ceremonies and also in the end. And also we're going to be keeping that keeping that uh, uh, that room for you know closed for uh, people who want to take a nap because the seats are actually super comfortable. Uh, which is kind of bad when you're having lectures in there because you end up falling asleep. And, uh, <laughs> but then we have, oh God, I've, I've actually lost count how many rooms we have, but we have, uh, I think, over seven rooms that we have booked for, uh, um, for hackers and then which are kind of like spread out around the campus. So there definitely should be enough room for everybody this time. And uh, it's going to, so it should be comfortable. That's awesome. Um, and I believe some of the sponsors are just the, as you'd expect, because you're working there. Pebble, Swift Full key. disclosure, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you have some, you have pretty good, you have pretty awesome and, and well-known sponsors, but also I've seen that you, you're having sponsors that are like student startups. Yeah, so this is something that we actually wanted to try this year, mainly because we, we run a bunch of uh, events like locally at, at King's where some st startups, you know, who run, or just companies that are started by students, you know, they attend sometimes, maybe they, they've had a couple talks, you know, about the stuff they do. We kind of figured, well, could we actually get these companies somehow involved and, you know, give them, you know, basically let, let them help us out, you know, and some, and also give them a chance to kind of sh show off what they do a little bit. So we came up with this idea of having like a special student sponsorship package, which is significantly reduced, uh, you know, in the, co in the cost for the, st for the company. Um, the student startup can come, come along, they can set a prize if they want, and they can also get you know they can present what they're doing and they're we're also giving them like a 30 minute session during the uh, during the event where they can talk about what they're doing and just kind of people can come up to them and see what they're doing which we're really excited about and so i think we have like four or five st uh, startups that are currently more or less confirmed to be there uh yeah so we've been, we're really excited about it actually um, and also one thing i wanted to talk about is the logo that you have for hat london is really awesome and if you zoom into it you can actually see swift code and i think it's java code as well which actually mentions hack london who who actually designed that logo so there's a guy in uh, in kcl tech called clarence who did this and uh, we were like he we basically had this we were thinking about how do how, well, what the, what's the logo going to be and then clarence just kind of came up the next day and it's like i made this and everybody's jaws just dropped so we were like yeah that's it we're doing this and actually kind of reminds me of the death star you know the kind of broken one after when, it, when it's being rebuilt but uh, this this is the bad thing about podcasts because now it just you know we're can't actually talk, can't actually show it, but go check out hacklondon.org. You'll see the logo. And uh, also, why did you decide to partner with societies from other school, from from UCL, namely, uh, to throw this this hackathon? But what ended up happening though was that we just had a conversation that with with the UCL, and we kind of realized, well, actually, we're kind of very much on the same page here. So let's just work together and see if we can make like a really good hackathon together. And so far, so good. And hopefully, in a couple of weeks, it's going to work out all right. Uh, we're really excited. Uh, have all tickets sold out, or uh, can people still sign up? So I believe there are still there's still at least one one batch of tickets to go out, but don't quote me on that. I believe they go out on Wednesdays at three p.m., but they go very very quickly. And so if you but if you sign up to the newsletter at hacklondon.org, you'll you'll get the details from there. 
Um, they, but the, yeah, you have to kind of be there at 3 p.m. The, it looks like the tickets have been going very, very fast. What kind of things should people who've already got tickets expect from Hat London? So we're going to try and like, actually it was interesting. Joe was talking about like small kind of events that to be run on the side. So, so we're going to be trying to run a bunch of those. And also, you know, the, start, uh, the student startups have some stuff planned beyond that. You know, we just hope, hope it's going to be like a good, good atmosphere. You know, people are going to have a lot of fun and uh, building awesome stuff. So, yeah, that's cool. I mean, one thing that has been really awesome in the Shoot Hacker community, at least in, in Europe, is people are going way above and beyond to sort of help cater to students. And, and one of the things is, is Hack Campus, right? Which, uh, Nick, I believe you you are currently involved with, right? Yeah, partially involved, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and many of us have, have started societies. Uh, I started... Uh, uh, there's a there's a large society behind uh, student hack uh, of students who want to constantly build stuff and it was really interesting because I wanted to uh, sort of use this opportunity to speak to you and and sort of see what it's like to start student projects and student societies uh, for those who don't have computer science societies in their schools what kind of problems they should expect should they want to start one so I guess the the, the first person I'll come to is Joe because you started Hacksock Nottingham could you just tell us a bit about the challenges you faced with starting it and what it, what people should expect if they want to start one in their own school absolutely um, so the main challenge with starting a hackathon society especially if it's somewhere that hasn't been exposed to hackathon culture before so for example you haven't thrown a hackathon before starting one or your students haven't been to one is getting over the word hack so obviously the word hack has connotations with other activities related to security because the media in the 80s managed to make a fantastic mess up and we're still recovering from it as a community and convincing administrators and people in the student union and that sort of thing that you're not out to do any illegal activity is quite difficult. Once you jump that hurdle, we actually found it was relatively easy to get going. So in Nottingham, we already had an existing computer science society, but they were running very much typical student society events like social activities, basically, which was great for the department. But they weren't running any educational things or hackathon activities, like basically productive activities. And when you start running these things, you find that all sorts of people turn up. So one of our biggest audiences at Hacksock was business students who wanted to learn more about programming so they could bring their startup ideas and this sort of thing to life. Um, and you start to realise as you host these societies that there's a fantastic amount of reasons and motivations for wanting to learn to program. Once you get it going and off the ground you get the word out, the challenges fall away, fall away very quickly. I mean, funding, you start to get funding from unexpected places as the word spreads and people realise the good you're doing. And it's mainly just the initial hurdles, I would say. And Nick, you was involved with KCL Tech, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I was uh, part of the guys who started it about 18 months ago. Yeah, so but we do actually sometimes get confused with tech support, which is unfortunate. I mean, was there not already a society in, in KCL for computer science or uh, computing? Yeah, so we had a... So there still is a computing society in, in King's, but they have a very different focus. Um, even though, you know, they do focus on technology, they're very much interested in kind of working with large uh, banks and consultancies. And a lot of people who are kind of active in that society end up going to work in the city here in London. So that they and they weren't really interested in running, like, for example, programming workshops or running any kinds of hackathons um, or those types of events. So we kind of go side by side and we both do our own thing. We're, but we've, we've been more interested in, yeah, hacking whatever that ends up meaning. And, and how many people are currently behind KCL Tech? So uh, right now, I think the committee is around 20 people or so. We, we had this problem where a lot of the people, the, the people who started it are now in third year. Uh, so we, and we're trying to 
bring basically the next generation of people to kind of uh, to to ha handle the society when almost half of us graduate. And so yeah, so it's about twenty people now, and we're running at least one one event a week. We're running, for example, one thing that we've been running for for ten weeks now has been a Swift work workshop, which is actually probably where where the Hack London logo came from, and also just like kind of talks from industry and uh, smaller programming events as well. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And and how was how big was the society when you started? So I mean, well, when we started, I think you know in. So we ha we were about like four four guys five guys you know uh, so it, it was really small we basically we, we, in the beginning we didn't know how, what what how to do anything we didn't know how to book rooms we didn't know how to run events we didn't know how to do any social media stuff and for the first year it, it was kind of quiet until we did hack kings after which we became much much more active and this year we've been, we, we, when we've we basically just gathered a lot of steam and just like consistently keep on running small events and like Joe said yeah once you start actually once you get past those first hurdles people get get interested and you start finding people you, you start to realize that people find you from unexpected places and a lot of and more people want to work with you so like what's absolute minimum do you think that someone uh, how big do you think a committee needs to be or how small a committee should be uh, to start a society do you could you do it with a single person or is it just not possible I guess it's it's if it's a single person, I think it's going to be extremely hard. But it's more about I think it's less about the people. And it's just more about the purpose of it. If people can, because people will rally around the common goal of you know just or, or the common interest of just being excited about technology. And so we kind of right now we're about twenty people. Uh, we actually kind of went through this like existential crisis of like, are we actually too are we, are we too big of a society now? Or like, in, or like, where's the core too big? Because we have like, depending on how you count, we have hundreds of members, but that's basically a vanity metric because we we end up getting like you know between twenty and a hundred people for to our events. But on the committee, we have about twenty people, and people focus on different things. So I think it's worked out all right for now. For like once the once society's grown, but. Starting starting society uh, with one with just if you're one person you're gonna have a hard time but if you have a, like an if you have an enthusiastic group of friends you should go one for it. One thing to note about starting a society with one person is it also depends on the rules of your students' union. Um, so that's for example, well. that's um, true as well. Yeah. Nottingham to start a society you have to have at least a president and a, uh, a treasurer and a general secretary. So you have to have at least three people on the committee and then you have to get twenty five people to give you a membership fee before they'll either consider. You. Um, the rules vary and obviously you can always get around this by just not incorporating with your students union but yeah there will be challenges if you don't have people to do it with you okay do you think like going to hackathons would make starting societies easier is there any le lessons or skills that people can learn at hackathons that they can take away and use in when they start a society uh yeah yeah i was going to say that um for us at least i think hack kings was kind of a pivotal moment in like how kcl tech ended up uh, ended up developing that because mainly because we met so many people there and kind of and got more connected with the with the with the UK community in general, um, we just, and once we started having those discussions with people, we actually started realizing how to do things better. Uh, so, uh, so I think ha uh, going to a hackathon and then like allow like actually connects you much better with uh, with people like that, and w which will allow you then to actually I think make a better society because we were hopelessly lost in the beginning. And another thing as well is like you're doing Hack Campus as well, right? So you're so you're involved with that, right? So what what what's the difference between Hack Campus and and KCL Tech? So Hack Campus uh, was actually born out of Hack Kings, and the point of Hack Campus was that uh, we realized that a lot of these societies were actually very disconnected in in the UK, 
and so you know some some universities are uh, like less are more connected than others but we you know there were clashes in uh, in, hack in hackathons and kind of pe people didn't really know what was happening so hack campus was 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 supposed to be or is this uh, organization that kind of is, is a uk wide network so hack campus was uh, supposed to be a uk wide uh, society where that kind of makes sure that ev like everybody is connected throughout the universities. I always love how similar the foundation stories for MLH UK and Hack Campus are. Um, it's kind of like key highlight of how important the hackathon culture growing in the UK was that simultaneously two two groups of people several hours apart in the country realised there was the same problem and tackled it. Um, this is like the sort of drive and the sort of attitude towards solving problems that contributing to hackathons gives. So yeah, like, definitely. like Hack Campus and MOH weren't actually hackathon projects. We didn't spend a weekend, we didn't spend hackathon weekend building them. So do you think like, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean like what you build at hackathons isn't necessarily important. It's about the connections you make. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Okay. And how do you feel like if someone wants to start a project, but doesn't know who to find, how do you know who to speak to? Uh, what what would you where would you where would you start a hackathon? So the easiest way is to contact MLH. Um, <laughs> basically, speak to anyone else you know who's done it. Um, so if you're active on Facebook, this is incredibly easy. Uh, there are groups everywhere. So I mean, for example, if you wanted to start a hackathon and you're at Nottingham, search Hacksock Nottingham. If you're at Manchester, search Hacksock Manchester. If you're in Kings, search Hack Kings. Um, or there's Hackathon Hackers EU. There's a lot of hackathon organisers on there. And then obviously MLH.io or even Hack Campus, like any community with that's got hackers currently in it and hackathon organisers currently in it is definitely going to reach out and try and help you. And I think, Nicholas, you'd probably agree with that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, we kind of, KCL Tech as well, we have, an, we have an email address that you can, you know, if you contact us, so you're excited and run, uh, about running something, just let us know. You know, we'll throw it, we'll help out any way we can. And Kurt, you're also involved in sort of like a student project, you could say. It's, it's called Viomi, right? And uh, do you want to just tell us a bit more about that and the problems you faced with it? Oh, definitely. So Viomi is a short, an acronym for Vehicle of Mass Inclusion. And it's, I think the inspiration come from when I would go to hackathons and you hear a lot of people saying, oh, I wish we did this at school. I wish we had this back in the day or that sort of things. So my passion is within schools. So like secondary school and primary schools and getting those kids more involved with computer science, because I feel like schools are a bit behind in terms of technology, in terms of what's out there in the industry. So I'm just doing Viomi as, as, as a project to, to, to sort of solve that. Um, the inspiration came from going to my first MLH hackathon at Student Hack, and there was a Volkswagen van over there. And I also found out about the MLH hardware lab for the first time. I thought, why don't we do a traveling hardware lab and go around the country and deliver mini hackathons in schools? And that's basically the idea. Um, I target kids from disadvantaged areas who might not get the newest Xboxes every year. Uh, they get to play around with the Oculus Rifts, the Leap Motions, things like that. In terms of challenges, again, it's about the initial hurdle of getting teachers to buy into it because the teachers, you know, they, most of them are not interested in technology. Most of them just want to finish their curriculum, uh, do the exams, and that's it. Uh, so it's just getting them interested in technology and also working with under 18. And, and one thing as well is like a lot of hackathons, particularly Launch Hack, had a whole host of problems with trying to bring under 18s into the event. And that's something that I feel like we're, we're very much lacking in. How do you feel like the what you're learning from Viomi like, in terms of bringing under 18s we could bring to hackathons in the UK? 
I was definitely just uh, working around the laws and things like that about um, kids not being able to stay overnight, you know, having to have supervision. So I think it's the, the law around having under 18 to an event where, it, you know, uh, and learning about things. Like if you're serving alcohol at the event, you, you're not supposed to when there's under 18 there. So it's just learning things like that that will contribute towards, you know, us hosting a hackathon where we can host under 18s. And uh, Joe, like, could you just explain a bit more about the problems? Because you was like leading up the under 18s in at Launch Hack, uh, which was a big accomplishment for what you managed to get. Do you want to just tell us a bit more about the problems that you Yeah, face? absolutely. So Kirkland knows more about this than me, seeing as he currently works <laughs> in the school. Um, but basically, with under-18s, you have a lot of liability and health and safety concerns. And these manifest in various consequences. So, for example, in the UK, we have a concept of a DBS check, where to work with children under the age of 18, you have to have undergone one of these checks, which checks your background and make sure that you don't have any, you're not on any lists and you don't have any criminal record, that sort of thing. Um, and without one of these, you're basically not safe from a liability perspective to work with children. The main problem with these is that they are very much employer and activity specific. Um, so almost every, and there's also two levels, which isn't obvious. So almost everyone gets a basic DBS whenever they're hired by someone, because usually companies want to make sure that you're not a murderer. But the basic DBS isn't enough to work safely with children, especially if you're doing overnight. And it's not your employer's DBS isn't going to be applicable to volunteering at a hackathon. So what we did with launch hack for these is there's a fantastic initiative called STEM Ambassadors, where these students can sign up to be a STEM ambassador, which means they uh, go to primary schools and they promote STEM activities and subjects such as um, the sciences and computer science to the students and encourage the students to take them in their GCSEs and options. And as part of this scheme, you get a you get personal liability insurance and a DBS certificate to work with children under the age of 18. And that any event which is registered on their system as a uh, STEM event is covered by that certificate. So what we did for launch was we managed to get a group of STEM ambassadors together. We registered the event with STEM and we basically had the staff we needed. And then unfortunately, there's a lot of other issues. So we actually lost the ability to have under 18s on venue overnight in the week before and had to find an alternative venue. There's so many liability issues concerning under 18s that sometimes venues don't fully comprehend what they've agreed to. And we've had venues back out on us twice over the full season, which is why we've unfortunately had to interrupt serving under-18s for now. Do you feel like we're making progress with trying to bring under-18s to at least MLH? Absolutely. So one of the important things to note about the fact that we stopped doing under-18s halfway for the season is that although we weren't able to accommodate any more under-18s during the fall season and we can't during the spring season, it doesn't mean we're not working on it. I personally, and Kurt as well, it's something that we're really passionate about and it's something that we're constantly working on a solution to. And we're currently in talks with a particular member of the community who's done a lot of this work before and has worked with other organisations who do this and do do this safely um, into making this happen in fall 2015. So I just want to say that I was at LodgeHack and those kids were fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I definitely think it, it, Joe. You very you pulled off a, a miracle there, and uh, I think it'll make things in the future uh, a lot easier in terms of progressing from that. So I think we've run out of time, but I'm just gonna just do a short recap on and sort of the main points from from the from the podcast. The first one is obviously HackCon. Uh, if you want to watch the videos, you can watch them at bit.ly/hackconii. Uh, HackCon three will happen in San Francisco at GitHub's headquarters in July 2015. Uh, HackCon in Europe will happen sometimes th this year. I, I believe August uh, August the 18th and 19th, right? I have requested the space for August 15th and 16th, I believe. Okay, so August 15th and 16th. 
And the upcoming hacks in the MOH season are Stacks Hack, which is happening on the 21st and 22nd of February at St. Andrews. And Hack London, which Nick is org- partly organising, will happen on the 28th to the 1st of February weekend. And uh, K-Hacks will be happening in Barcelona on the same weekend, uh, 28th of February till the 1st of March weekend. And also Major League Hacking, we ran Launch Hack and we're also planning to run a succession to that called Landing. That'll be happening in April 2015. If you want to hear more about all the MLH events going on, you can find that out at mlh.io slash eu. Thanks, uh, Joker and Nicholas, for for joining me on the podcast, the very first podcast, uh, hopefully one of many. And the next podcast should be in, in two weeks time and we hope to see you at MLH event. Please don't be afraid to say hi. All right, thanks.